Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. So we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' invitation and explanation of what it means to live under God's rule. The Beatitudes sort of begin to lay out this very radical revolution that Christ has brought into the world, uh, which has made available God's care and God's rule. The Beatitudes are kind of orientation, if you will, into kingdom living now and forever. And they teach us a couple of things that we've looked at that the kingdom's available to all, anyone who will surrender to Christ, Uh, that God's care and his blessing come directly into our circumstances. And because of that, there is no end-of-the-world scenario for believers. Nothing's irredeemable. No ultimate harm can come to anyone who knows him. We are looking at the characteristics of people who live under that kind of care and under heaven's rule. As an orientation, before we get into the sermon proper, The three characteristics of people who live, who, for whom forever has already begun. That song, forever yours, at the end there. Forever has already begun for everyone who knows Christ. God's full world has been opened up to us. The first characteristic, we said, of these folks who live in this kingdom. And let me give you that visual again. This is sort of the Beatitudes, what it looks like if you're in the kingdom. So you come into the kingdom, and we're just trying to describe how all these different kinds of people function together under God's rule. The first characteristic we said was we're dependent on spiritual resources for our existence. So let's just... Rehearse that for a second. It's incredibly important. You run on a different energy source. The basis of your life changes. So you get strength and joy and wisdom all from a different place. So they're not generated by the physical material world as you and I have known it. We're not reliant on physical material outcomes. This is an, inc- this is an incredible truth to swallow, to really believe that your whole life's not based on the reality of this world. Now, what that means is, for people who live out of this resource, their 
They're freed from the protection of their earthly existence. It doesn't determine everything for them. You know what that really means? You stop living on the edge of your seat wondering if God's going to give you the things you want. Just take that in for a second. Because every day it just feels like you can get into a, a rut where you're just going, and I hope it all happens today. I hope it all happens today. I hope it all happens today. I hope it all comes together today. I hope it all happens today. And you sort of live your life on, this, on the anxious edge of a seat. And you're, all you can see about God is hoping he comes through for you. Because you need this world to work. And people who are in the kingdom... That's not their ultimate basis for living. So you're sort of weaned off of those kinds of sources, material sources for living. That's what, that's what this sermon will repeatedly drive home. All the things you thought you needed that you don't need. The sermon pushes that into your face. There's a second characteristic, and I want to begin to look at it today. That means there's going to be a part two. Because I can't get it all in and you guys be able to celebrate tomorrow. I won't be able to do that. So the second one, we're going to just look at a piece of it today. I just want to unfold it because it's just so amazing in my mind, what the sermon is trying to say about this particular one as well that I just, I just want to reflect on it enough. The second one is not only am I dependent on spiritual resources, but I surrender to God's complete transformation of my life. Again, this is just revolutionary. So what do I mean? Well, just think about I'm going to give you a, a, a verse that we're going to encounter later. It's just an illustration of what the sermon is saying to us. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his head. And when I draw this out, I think to myself, okay, so externally I can actually I can commit adultery, but Jesus is driving deeper to some other place in my heart to look at this, to look at this issue. Now, just that visual alone, just that reality means, it means some things. To God, character and transformation are, listen, first and foremost, an internal thing. They're not external. This is incredibly difficult to keep straight for those of us who get into the kingdom. So now I have to become acclimated 
to Jesus' very stark vision of the spiritual life, which has to do with the inside, not the outside. The outside is affected by it. But Jesus cares about the inside. So whatever the spiritual life is, just think about this. Whatever the spiritual life is, it does not proceed by means of changing the outer form of existence, your outer form of existence. It's not the outer form where you start. You don't start here for spiritual transformation. Does that make sense? You don't start on the outside. This would have been radical to the culture that Jesus was in and the religious people. who viewed everything externally. This, is, this takes a radical shift. So I keep saying to you that God's full world is opened up to us. And that means literally in all directions. So I want to show you something. I want to show you another visual here, what I mean by God's full world. So when I say God's full world... If, if we're looking at the world the way we do, we just see this part. But when, when, when you come into the kingdom and God's full world is open to you, all of a sudden you're exposed internally as well. There's a larger view of who you are and your character. It's a bigger picture. Without God, I don't have it. So when I, when I talk about God's full world being open up, let's, let's look at this for just a second. We've already said that the Beatitudes have already extended the borders of the kingdom outside of reality. The borders of the kingdom are extended. He crashed through every single barrier, sociological, racial, ethic, ethic, uh, ethnic, Every barrier he crashes through. And then what does he say in 520? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. There is a kind of living that cannot be done. These were the experts in external living. There is a kind of living that cannot be done only on the outside. Which means he takes our standard, which we set here, and he crashes through that as well. When I say God's full world is opened up to us, it's wide open. He crashes through our external barriers. And what does he do here? He actually goes this direction and smashes all the way down to our hearts. In every direction you go, God has just completely demolished every barrier we set up. When you come into the kingdom, God's full world is open to you. You can't have that small little vision of the world and life anymore. It's broader now. It's higher and it's deeper. With God, just stopping a behavior is not enough. It's just not enough. 
Now, I'm going to tell you this thought. I just sat in my office this week thinking about it, and a text came to my mind. I I want us to see it. This is Ephesians 3, incredible text that ends the, the first half of the book. Paul prays. He's praying in verses 14 and 15. And what he prays is that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, so that you be rooted and grounded in love. So you have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. There's a couple of incredible thoughts here in light of God's full world being opened up. Uh, Just notice something really interesting here. He wants you to try to comprehend. So this this is a very intense prayer he's praying. And what he's trying to say is there are some dynamics of the kingdom that you're not going to be able to easily grasp. You're going to really have to think hard about what is the breadth, length, heights, and depths. These are the, this is the dimensions of the kingdom. And what's odd about it is it doesn't give, it's incomplete. It doesn't give you what that is. The breadth, length, height, and depth of doesn't say. We normally put love in there because right above it, it says you may be rooted and grounded in love. This is a completely different statement. What is the breadth, length, height, and depth? And to know the love of Christ is a separate thing. So love is on both sides, but the breadth, length, height, and depth is incomplete. We don't know. What he's basically trying to say is that the dimensions of salvation are so vast that I I can't even begin to describe it. And here we see these dimensions of life in the kingdom. Here's a picture, by the way, and this is what I want you to know about these dimensions. This is the beautiful thing about these incredibly vast dimensions of this salvation. Where's it all happening? Inside. In you. And what do I get? What do I get? Well, let me show you this. This is the whole text. And all I did was circle all the words that give you the power on the inside to be exactly what God wants you to be, strengthened with power in the inner man, with strength to comprehend. To him who is able to do more than we can ask or think, where is he doing all that? Where is he doing it? 
inside. The inner man, he is able on the inside to pop. Look at all these terms. It's really exhausting all the language to try to tell you all the resources available to you on the inside to become the person that God wants you to become. So you have this power dynamic, this incredible dimensions of faith inside. One of my favorite little spiritual phrases. You want to experience the vastness? You don't need Bezos and Musk. Beyond is within. Jesus says, I'm offering you this vast kingdom. All going to begin in your heart. All the power and all the work. Calvin Miller is probably my, when it comes to the inwardness, it's my favorite author. He says, How shall you define inwardness? Inwardness defies all laws of space and time. And endows us with a life and a destiny greater than our own. What we contain is more than what we are. I think that's what Ephesians 3 is saying. It's heaven, immeasurable, love without dimensions, all in the confines of a fleshly frame. Inside this flesh is a heart. This is what matters to God, the dimensions, the power available. It made me think this this week. How small is my life without God in it? Sin has a way of reducing reality. Life, personhood, it reduces you, it shrinks you. You shrivel. You're shrink-wrapped. It's a compressed life, restricted. Restricted by self-focus, demanding, self-righteous, judgmental, superficial. Life without God is a very small world, a tiny world. It's not free at all. It's not healthy. It's it's self-destructive. Your world shrinks, and you're the biggest person in it when it's all about you. But when God comes into your life, it just opens everything up. how I see myself, how I see other people. God comes into your life. He doesn't ruin it. He doesn't shrink it. You're finally free. You have eternal options at your disposal. So 
So the lids are gone everywhere, and this thing that God has broadened for anyone to come into, completely raised the standard on, he has driven into our hearts in order to change it. So if beyond is within, if beyond is within, if this is, if God's vast world is available to me from the inside, if beyond is within, then I have to learn to have a spiritual life that focuses on the inside of me and not the outside of me. And I will tell you that is incredibly difficult to keep straight. So you could right now evaluate your spiritual life to the degree that it focuses on the inside of you versus the outside of you. And many of us would fall apart just a a surface reflection of that. Uh, this is the reason why you don't wait till heaven to change. Jesus isn't offering something that, hey, when you get to heaven, you'll have a new heart. No. He's giving you that. He wants to transform your heart. You can't wait till heaven because the vastness of what God's offering is being driven into your heart immediately upon knowing him. All the resources have become available to you now in this life to begin becoming the person you will one day become. That requires a completely different way of relating to God. And that's the point of the sermon. You're going to relate to me completely different. You're going to relate to God completely different in light of what I'm saying to you, Jesus says. So the heart is the headquarters of your life. It's probably the easiest way to send it, the center of your being. All your desires, all your decisions, all work their way out from that center. That's where I locate my ideas, my beliefs, my feelings, my habits. My outlook on life comes from there. The choices that I prefer, my plans, my hopes and expectations. I live out of that thing. And it's incredibly complex is one of the reasons we struggle with the inside of ourselves. Hard to decipher at times what's really going on inside us. And it requires real work. And so when God says something like, I know you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I don't even want you to lust. What is he saying? What's he saying about what's happening in a human heart that, may, that, that gets it to the point where it, where it would do that? Those are the questions we should be asking. Because the beginning of all sexual sins start there. 
When I consider that, it's kind of startling that the seeds of all sin I carry around with me. And if I'm self-focused or my ego gets involved and I need strokes from something, from someone, I'm willing to use a person. Use a person. And in our culture, we're seeing the abuse of people because of those kinds of desires. And people become objects. And again, my world has shrunk. Where I'm the biggest person in it. All I do is take. It's that kind of person that cannot feel at home in the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, it's not the people who don't commit adultery ought to feel at home in the kingdom. It's the people who don't want to treat people that way at all in any way. It's a completely different perspective. But it's the only hope for humanity. All our hope is to see humanity change and just doesn't have the spiritual resources to change the inner man. But in the kingdom, you have those resources. Listen, this is what I'm trying to say. And we'll look at this. I want to get as practical as I possibly can, which we'll have to do in the next, next one. But it's much easier to just read the Bible through in a year and feel spiritual. Isn't it? That's what I'm talking about. If the essence of your spiritual life is reading the Bible through in a year, then then you're not getting it. Or going on a mission trip. They're external things. They're good things. They are not the focus of the spiritual life. That's why Miller says we shrink to step across the threshold to ourselves. That's one of the things Jesus opens up to us. And you know what you got to have, as it just hits me right now, you know what you got to have to be willing to face what's inside you? Well, you got to have Christ. You got to have that kind of love. You got to have a kind of love that when you get in there, the kingdom was so broadened so that you could get in. Who knows what barriers had to be broken just to allow your behind in there. That when you get in there, you go, you can see anything in me you want because you're the one that brought me in here. So, just a very quick application Sort of a, and then, and then we'll just be done for today. I have to, when I come into the kingdom, I have to consent 
to God's supremacy over all things. Over all things in my life. Everything that's at the center of my heart that drives every single thing that I do. Andrew Murray said, we find the Christian life so difficult because we seek for God's blessing while we live in our own will. We should be glad to live the Christian life according to our own liking. So once you're once you have been brought into the kingdom, someone else rules that reality all the way down deep into your heart. All of that. So I, I am in the kingdom. And this is what Jesus says a kingdom heart looks like. And if I'm going to feel at home in the kingdom, then this is who I need to become. And then if this is not your vision, if that's not your vision for yourself and your relationship with God, or you don't believe it, then you'll never be at home in the kingdom. This is why I've told you before, and this connection to me is just really important. Um, Jesus is not offering you something for later. In heaven, uh, there'll be no introductions, and there'll be no orientation class. You don't get to heaven and somebody says, oh, I need to introduce you to God. That'll never happen. There's no orientation class about what you can expect when you get here. It's already been happening in your heart. What God's trying to do to you and ultimately will do to you, he's already doing to you. And with that vision changes everything about the way I wake up every day. The way I see literally every thought that comes through my mind, every idea that gets into my head, every hope that I have and every expectation has to be filtered through that reality. Heaven will not feel... like anything but being home. Very familiar. Familiar with all of it. The vastness, the height, the breadth, the depth, the length. It won't freak us out because we've already been seeing it. Look at this text. This is 1 John 3, 2 and 3. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. All that's happening in you, you you can't see it all now because it's 
But we do know, here's what we know. We know that when, we, when he appears, we'll be like him. We already know that that's going to happen. Okay, so John, are you telling us to wait until we see him to be like him? Because when we see him, we'll be like he is? No, no, no. Here's what he says in verse 3. Everyone who has this hope, what are they doing? They're already purifying themselves because he's pure. See? Already doing what he's going to do there. Does that make sense? That's the reason why heaven, there'll be no orientation to. Let me tell you who you're going to become now. You've already been becoming that. So C.S. Lewis believed that heaven has a character, a certain character to it. That unless Christ is being formed in you, you just won't be suited for it. This is why in, in his book, The Great Divorce, which is uh, sort of a made-up version of what happens in eternity. And in the story, people who live in hell are able to get on a bus and visit heaven. So he, he crashes through some theology to make a visual. And so if you, uh, if you are in hell, uh, you're, you're considered a ghost because there's no substance to your life. Remember, we've talked about heaven and eternal quality of life and eternal substance. So people who make it to heaven are in a more real reality it's because they have, they're made of a substance that, that is more suited to that real reality. Heaven is so real that if you're not of a certain kind of substance, you can't survive in it. And that's what happens to these ghosts. They get there and they can't even walk on the lawn of heaven because the grass is too, it's too much for their feet. They don't have the substance to handle it. Everything's too much for them. Remarkable image. And uh, there's one particular moment where a ghost makes it to the heaven's door. He arrives at paradise, and when he gets there, he has this lizard on his chest. I've, I've always pictured it as an iguana. because they were all over in Florida. And, uh, but lizards aren't welcome in the New Eden. You can't bring them in. And this ghost has to take this lizard off, throw it down and stomp it, kill it before he can go in to demonstrate that his heart is suited for heaven. And he's got a real dilemma on his hand. He wants to get in there, but this lizard's been an intimate friend all his life. How could he give up? His fondest preoccupation, his dearest companion. 
And when Miller reflects on this, he says, uh, he said, what fascinates me most is what Lewis doesn't say about the lizard. How he stayed front and center on this ghost's life and, and spoiling his appearance, making its demands, soiling his tunic, burdening him with its fatigue, providing him with only a scaly ugliness. But it has lived there with his permission, lending him security. And he has no idea how he could give that up. Well, the man in Lewis's story actually grabs this thing and throws it to the ground and stomps on it. Even though it cries for mercy, he crushes it. And the corpse of this little beast is transformed before his eyes. And it rises in splendor as a proud steed on which the ghost rides through the gates of heaven in triumph. That's Jesus' vision for our lives. And it takes surrender. And I have to consent to his supremacy over every single thing in my life. Now, I just want you to reflect on this for a moment because the second part of this won't make any sense unless right now you can say, and I think you ought to actually say it in your head. See if you can say this in your head. God, right now, I want you to have the ultimate say in every single thing going on in my heart. And you have beliefs. I'm talking about what God believes about sin, what he believes about marriage, what he believes about gender, what he believes about every single thing, what he believes about money, what he believes about plans, what he believes about everything. So the first thing is, you walk into this kingdom, I consent to your supremacy in all things. Bow your heads. See if you can say that right now. Lord, right now, I have a few lizards. Some of these things I can't even imagine living without. Say to God right now, whatever you say about it is what I want. It's what I want to believe. Whatever you say about it Father, this is a scary proposition to go inside of ourselves. There are many things in there we don't even want to see. But if, the, but if your full world has been opened to us, if you're, if you're being honest about what you say about the kingdom, I have the freedom to roam there 
knowing fully I'm loved by you no matter what's found. And that the resources will be available to me. To be transformed. To change my opinions, my beliefs, my likes, my hopes. And that I won't be alone when I give them up. I won't be alone when I give them up. So this morning, Lord, we renew. Our surrender of it all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I knew I wouldn't have time to give you part two to this. But I am so excited about what God is what God is showing us through this sermon. So Two things you're going home with today. Number one, if I'm not focused on the inside, I'm turned around in the kingdom. And the second thing is, have I really said that I will not hold on to anything if God tells me to let it go? Those are your first two things. And if you don't cross those two bridges, if you don't get to that two realities, then the next one's not going to be helpful. So... Thank you.